invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Kings, chapter 18. Our text tonight is chapter 18 of 1 Kings, beginning at verse 20 and reading through uh, verse 40. This is a very well-known passage uh, from the Old Testament, the account of uh, Elijah and the people of the northern kingdom of Israel uh, gathered on Mount Carmel. And um, Mount Carmel is near the uh, modern city in Israel of Hapha, and it juts out into the, uh, the, there's a piece that juts out into the Mediterranean and uh, from that mount, you can uh, see vast uh, sites into the Mediterranean on one side and then uh, across uh, Israel on the other. And uh, Elijah here is uh, calling for a, a meeting of the people of Israel on the top of this mountain to <clears throat> answer the question, to have the question answered once and for all, who is God? And uh, that is the uh, question and uh, the, uh, the great uh, question put before them is uh, which God is the true God and which one will you follow? And so uh, we uh, begin tonight at verse 20, reading through verse 40. Hear the word of God. <clears throat> So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I, only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull, and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, 
cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed upon them. And at midday, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, and as great would, as great as would contain two seas of seed. He put the wood in order, and cut the bull in pieces, and laid it on the wood, and he said, Fill four jars with water, and pour it on the burnt offering, and on the wood. And he said, Do it a second time, and they did it a second time. And he said, Do it a third time, and they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar, and filled the trench also with water. At the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jake Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us your word written. Grant that we may so read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your word, that by the patience and comfort of your word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life, which you have given to us in 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let us, uh, amen. There is to be a general meeting of Israel on the top of Mount Carmel. And the great question to be settled is what will happen because of the judgment of the drought and the famine that had been upon Israel. And uh, God is going to uh, reveal himself in a wonderful way on Mount Carmel to the people of Israel. We sometimes think that in the uh, Bible times that God was doing this uh, very, uh, very frequently. But that is not the case. When God reveals himself in power, he is graciously coming near and revealing something of his power and his goodness to his people. But the account of that revelation then becomes something which we must believe and know for generations to come. King Ahab had blamed Elijah for the troubles and for the famine. And yet Ahab knows that Elijah holds the key to this the famine coming to an end. So as much as Ahab despised Elijah, Ahab is brought under the control of the Lord and under the control of Elijah. We see that Ahab uh, submits to everything that Elijah tells him to do. In verse 19, we read, that Elijah says to Ahab, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And then in verse 20 we read, And Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So Ahab does as he is commanded to do by Elijah. And there, I think we should notice that there are four groups there. First, 450 priests of Baal. Second, 400 prophets of Asherah. King Ahab and those who belong to his entourage, and then finally the people of Israel. And so at different points, Elijah is speaking first to the people, then he speaks to the priests of Baal. And so uh, he is seeking to draw the people to recognize and know that God is, that the God of, of, of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel is the true God, and that they should follow him and not Baal. I think you could summarize the teaching of this section by saying this, we must be holy and decidedly the Lord. Or we must love the Lord with our whole hearts. We must be holy and decidedly the Lord's from 
the heart. That is what Elijah wants for the people of Israel. And that is why everything that is accounted here is told to us. We're going to try to look at this under three parts. First, Elijah's challenge and proposal. Second, the proposal's implementation and the result of it. And then third, the people's response. First, Elijah's challenge and proposal. Second, the proposal's implementation and its result. And third, the people's response. We must be holy and decidedly the Lord's. First, we see then that Elijah challenges the people with a question. And the question is found in verse 21. He says, it says, Elijah came near to all the people. So he drew near to that group, to the, to the people of Israel. And he said to them, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? And uh, the word that is translated uh, limping means to hesitate in your gait, to walk in such a way that you have an uneven lurching gait, leaning first to one side and then the other. And Elijah describes them as being double-minded, of being undecided and worshiping the Lord at one time and Baal at another. And it is sad to say that the vast majority of people as they go through life, do, uh, do uh, not like to deal with the kind of question that Elijah asks. How long will you go limping between different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him, but if Baal, then follow him. I think most people prefer to leave those kinds of questions unanswered and to leave them for a group of religious professionals to determine. And as long uh, as most people are are happy with whatever uh, teachings anyone believes, as long as they don't interfere very much with whatever may be my goals or priorities, whatever will least interfere with what I am all about passing the next test, getting the next promotion, buying the next house, all of the relentless demands of life. I spoke with someone at one time who told me that he thought religion and believing in God was fine, but just didn't think that it was a good idea that people should care or be too fanatical about it. Now, I don't think that most people, when they uh, speak about the love that they have for their children, would think that way, or even the love that they have for their uh, favorite sports team would think that way. 
But one of the ways that we cover our alienation from God is by thinking that we should uh, sort of take a neutral view about it and not care very much. And it is, the message of this chapter is that if God is who he says he is, then it is not a viable option to remain lukewarm in one's attachment to him. But we should love God wholeheartedly and serve him wholeheartedly. Israel was called to be that kind of a people, to be true to the covenant that God had made with them. And they were to live in the land of uh, the land of flowing with milk and honey, the inheritance that God had given to them, in obedience to the commands of God and enjoying his blessing. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, we hear these words. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. To have these words on your heart is to carry them, to remember them, to be speaking about them and teaching them constantly. It is one of the ways that we express that wholehearted, sincere love to God. Being, uh, being lukewarm, being uh, indifferent, uh, thinking of following after the Lord in a partial way is not something that either was a choice for Israel or for you or for me. We are called, and Israel was called, and we are called and ordained by God to be decidedly and wholeheartedly his. How long will you limp between different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. Live for him and love him. Elijah speaks in this way, saying, if it is true that the Lord is God, then you must be his holy, holy his. The people of Israel thought that they could worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and Baal. And they were worshiping in that way to as sort of cover their bases. And the people's answer to Elijah is given also. It says that uh, they answered not a word. The people did not answer him a word. A.W. Pink writes about this. He says, they were either convicted by his question or confused, but certainly they were confounded. They seem to have been stunned that such alternatives should be presented to them. End of quote. Then we see in verses 
23 through 25, Elijah's proposal to the people. In verse 23, he says, Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. So the people are to do this. Elijah is to do it. This is his proposal. Then he says, let prayers be made. Verse 24, you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered him, it is well spoken. The people answer Elijah by saying, what you are saying makes sense. You have spoken well. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Now, fire is that which is associated with the very holy presence of the Lord. Um, in Leviticus, we read that uh, of, of the offering that uh, was made. Leviticus 9, that Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them, came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering, the peace offering. Then Aaron and Moses go into the tent of meeting, and they come out and they bless the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. And so the appearance of God's glory and of fire that is a consuming fire on the altar, on the sacrifice that is made, is something that the people of Israel knew about. And it is also thought that uh, Baal was believed as a, uh, uh, to have control over fire and lightning. And so Elijah's proposal is, let the true God show himself. And the people answer, it is well spoken. We secondly want to see the proposal's implementation. We see this in the main body of the text that we've read, verses 25 through 38. And in this part, we see, first of all, the behavior and the actions of the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal prepared the bull, and they laid it on the altar. We're told that they, they limped, and they circled the altar. They called, they cried, and they even cut themselves as they danced around the altar that they made. A.W. Pink says about this, about their cutting themselves. The service of Satan, whether in the observance of idolatrous worship or in the practice of immoralities, whilst it promises to people's lusts and indulgence, is cruel to their persons and tends to torment them in this world. It is so true that service to Satan brings misery. And the behavior of these 450 prophets of Baal 
crying out, uh, circling over a long period of time, calling out upon Baal in a frenzied manner from morning to noon until the time of the oblation, which is thought to have been around 3 p.m. Then at one point, Elijah joins in mocking them. And he, he says to them, uh, uh, perhaps, uh, perhaps uh, there, your God is musing. Verse 27, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, call out louder. Perhaps he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or he is asleep and must be awakened. And so we're told in verse 28 that they cried aloud and cut themselves after the custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. Very uh, strangely, the mockery of, of Elijah is taken as serious advice. He, they do what Elijah tells them to do. And they call out more fervently. But what we find is that the, uh, the result of this is, in verse 26, there is no voice and no one answered. Verse 29 as well, there was no voice, no one answered. No one paid attention. All of this points to the fact of the falseness and the total impotence of of Baal. Baal was completely non-existent. Baal is, is a false god and is not able to respond. It points to the impotence of all idols. They cannot answer. They cannot speak. And uh, Psalm 115 tells us that idols made of silver and gold are the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not feel and feet, but they do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them, so do all who trust in them. As idols are without life, they're dead, they're impotent, so all who trust in them become those who are without life. And these, uh, it is a reminder to us of the, of, of the great peril that the service of idols puts us in. All of it uh, is something that is not uh, going to satisfy. It is not going to answer our need. So Elijah then begins with his uh, actions. And we notice that Elijah in verse 30 says... Uh, In verse 30, he said to all the people, come near me. And all the people came near him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord. He rebuilt the altar that had been thrown down. 
Evidently, there was some kind of an altar that had been made on Mount Carmel that had been torn down and was in disrepair. Elijah first takes upon himself the task of rebuilding that altar. Altars were very important to the people of Israel. Remember when Abraham uh, traveled and journeyed, wherever he went, he built an altar, and he called upon the name of the Lord. And so there is here um, Elijah's, uh, in a sense, communicating with the people by uh, building something that they had torn down. And he says that they, he built it using 12 stones, 12 stones symbolizing the name of Israel. And it's important also that we note that Elijah here considers the people of Israel to belong to the Lord. And he calls them to remember that they are Israel. He uses the 12 stones to remind them of their name. How important it is for us to be reminded from time to time of our name. Those of you who are covenant children have had the name of God put upon you. You were baptized and you belong in covenant with God. And Elijah here, in a sense, reminds Israel, gathered, he speaks to their heart, you are Israel, you belong to the Lord. It's every parent's task to remind their children Constantly, you are the Lord's. You have the name of the Lord God of Israel upon you. So Elijah first rebuilds the stone, he used the, the altar, and he uses 12 stones to remind them of who they are. But he goes further and he builds a, a trench around the altar, and then he puts wood on it. He cuts the bull and lays the bull on the wood, and then he does something uh, extraordinary. He has vessels of water poured on top of the uh, offering on the altar, and he, he has it done three times, and so much so that the trench around the altar is filled. Then Elijah draws near. At the time of the oblation, he drew near to the altar, that is, acting in a sense as a priest. He draws near to the altar and he prays. He prays to the Lord. And he says, in verse 36, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Notice here that he prays covenantally. He identifies the God to whom he prays as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He says, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. And so Elijah uh, makes clear that everything that he's doing here is according to God's 
word. He wasn't going out on a limb. He wasn't uh, thinking all of this up as he went. God had instructed him to do it. He says, answer me, O Lord. Only the living God can answer. Only the living God can answer. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God. And that you have turned their hearts back. You see two things there. On the one hand, his concern is for the glory of God. That God would demonstrate to the people that they would know and be convinced that the Lord is God. Show them, O Lord, that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Secondly, he's concerned for their hearts. He's concerned for the people of Israel, that they would be converted, that they would be turned wholeheartedly back to the Lord. And then we find, then we find the living God answers his prayer. Verse 38, what a wonderful verse. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. The fire of the Lord came down. Now fire usually goes up, but this fire came down from heaven and it is a consuming fire. It consumes everything. And it is a reminder to us that throughout the Bible, God is one who is holy. God is holy. And he is revealed to the people of Israel as a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 4.24 For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Deuteronomy 9.3 Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. Isaiah 33, 14, The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? And then Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, For our God is a consuming fire. The holiness of God consumes everything on the altar. God consumed the bull. He consumed the stones of the altar itself. He consumed the water. fire of judgment came upon this bull covered with water and drenched with water. The thing that we need to think about is this. The people of Israel all gathered there. The fire should have fallen on them. It fell instead on this sacrificial bull. And the wrath of God should have fallen upon Israel. And it fell instead on this 
sacrifice. God in his consuming holiness, in his consuming wrath against sin, did not consume Israel, but accepted the sacrifice as a substitute. And this sacrifice anticipates, the sacrifice at Carmel anticipates a sacrifice on another mountain outside Jerusalem where the fires of God's judgment fell upon the one who is the substitutionary sacrifice for sin upon Jesus on the altar of the cross. There Jesus fully satisfied the requirements of God's justice and his holiness. Being the sinless lamb of God, yet he there fully satisfied the requirements of justice for his elect people. So the consuming of this sacrifice is very important. We want to look next at the response of the people. Verse 39. Verse 39. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So they fell on their faces. And to fall on your face in in this culture is literally to fall and to do show homage in the posture of absolute submission to God. They fell on their faces and worshipped the God of Israel. Not only did they physically fall and worship God, they confessed that the Lord, He is God, the Lord, He is God. And we know that God has revealed himself fully in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is God who has revealed himself in the cross of Christ, the death of Christ, in his resurrection from the dead. And how can we now, who have seen God's acceptance of the sacrifice of Christ do anything other than to bow before the one true and holy God, the God of Israel, and confess with Israel, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. We notice not only did the people confess that God is the true God. Not only were they convinced, wholeheartedly convinced, by the things that they had seen, but they follow the command of Elijah to seize the prophets of Baal. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook of Kishon and slaughtered them there. That 
kind of uh, slaughter must have been awful. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 uh, prophets of Asherah, and uh, all of these are now put to death. They are slaughtered. They were, in doing this, they weren't being, uh, they weren't being cruel, but they were following the command of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, verses 1 through 4, we read about false prophets. We're told that if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign and a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of the prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Notice that. He is testing you to know your heart. And uh, Moses continues in Deuteronomy here in chapter 13, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. And brought you out of the land, who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. And so uh, uh, Elijah is having the people seize the prophets, and Elijah has them put to death, the priests and the prophets of Baal as a judicial act in obedience to God. They were purging the evil from Israel. We need to ask the question then of ourselves, are we purging evil from our own hearts? Are we willing to put that which we know is evil and displeasing to God, to destroy it, to be done with it, and to put it to death. Uh, God calls on his people to give themselves wholeheartedly to him. Part of that wholehearted service to him is repentance. Repentance and putting to death those things that we know are displeasing to him. And so... Here in this text, the people are convinced. They see the power of God. And God graciously saves them from destruction by dis destroying uh, this, the altar and the bull. And so God has revealed himself graciously to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has put his own son to death. And God calls upon you this night to serve him wholeheartedly 
and to be decidedly his. May God help us to do that. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you have revealed yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ to us. You revealed yourself in a mighty and powerful way to the people of Israel on Mount Carmel, but in a much greater way, you did so on, uh, on Mount, uh, Mount Zion and in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may it be that we would be those who have placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and wholeheartedly give ourselves to his service. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.